0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I am so excited! For Fail Forward Friday, I love this new segment that we're doing. It's just so fun and exciting. This is your new, your new, this is your first time listening to this new um, endeavor that we got going on. Let me tell you, the fail is in quotes. We're calling it Fail Forward Friday because there are moments in all of our lives where either we fail, we think we fail, we feel like a failure, and little do we know that that is actually the moment that can be a catalyst for future success, not only getting to where we once were, but going far, far beyond it. And it is just an exciting thing. And I am just pumped to have Rebecca Mara and Mario Mendoza on the podcast today. To talk about two of their moments that were catalytic events moving forward. They are both professional athletes and just high level runners. Rebecca is one of the best middle distance runners in the country, and Mario is one of the best ultra runners in the world. And it is just so exciting to talk to both of them. Before we get into it, I do want to say for the rest of the year, Fail Forward Friday will be brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is just unbelievable. They measure 43 different biomarkers to make sure that you are at your best, or if you're not, to figure out a plan forward and exactly how to get there, just like Fail Forward Friday. And I have all of my athletes that I coach, or even athletes that I talk to, To say, tell them that they should have testing done quarterly. That way, you know what your baseline level is. And if something pops up, then you can address it. Because sometimes we get blood testing done only when we're not feeling well. And the problem with that is, if you don't know what your blood work looks like at its best, then when you're not feeling well, you don't have a baseline to get back up to right? And as runners, we have special needs. So whether that's ferritin, vitamin D, the, the full iron panel, uh, hormones, whether you're male or female, there's so many different things to check in on to make sure that you're at your best, that you're healthy, and that you're improving. And there's only so much that the mirror, t- mirror is going to tell you, you need to get you know you need to dive in a little deeper, and that's where Inside Tracker comes in. And they are just uh, not only a big part of this show; they sponsored my show for a long time. They play an active role in so many professional athletes and amateur athletes' lives, and for good reason. So go to InsideTracker.com forward slash Rambling Runner today to save twenty five percent on your purchase. Again, that's InsideTracker.com forward slash Rambling Runner to save twenty five percent. On your purchase. Now, let's get into it with Rebecca and then Mario. Rebecca Mera, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to chat.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me back on.
0: Oh, this is going to be so much fun. So I am. So you've been on the show before. So we've done the full Rebecca Mera experience. You've been on a number of other shows as well, and you're you're always a fast. You're a fascinating guest. It's really exciting to talk to you. Oh, but today thanks. we're going to be a little more targeted. And what we're talking about, right? We're going to be talking about a setback that you've had and you've, you know, grown immensely from. And I know, just like everyone, there's there's sometimes you can choose between a couple. When it comes to you, when we first talked about this, what was the thing that came up for you that you really wanted to discuss?
1: Um, Gosh, so I kind of had two (laughs) potential stories in my mind. One was kind of like getting through college and all of the injuries that I had. And then the second, which is a little bit you know closer to now, um, was navigating becoming a professional athlete. Um, because for a lot of folks, like they have their agent lined up as they're graduating and they are you know ready to go and ready to sign with a team and jump in. And for me, I, I floundered <laughs> a lot um, trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do and what it was going to look like. And I kind of spent my whole first year as a quote professional or post collegiate like struggling. Um, and yeah, it took until the end of that first year to kind of get into a good situation. So I think that's what I'm going to talk about.
0: Let's do it. Let's dive in. So let's just start, let's start at the beginning, right? Let's start where it starts.
1: All right. Gosh. So, um, it is 2017. Um, I am just finishing up my fifth year at Stanford and I was a 417, 1500 runner. And in the course of my last season, just like totally, um, kind of broke free of the 4.17 barrier that I'd been stuck at for four years. Um, and I ended up um, making the NCAA final. I finished sixth. Um, it was really exciting. I then ran a huge PB the next week, ended up running 4.11 for 1,500. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I qualified for US Champs and I'm good enough to become a pro. This is awesome. Uh, But knew absolutely nothing (laughs) about what it meant to to be a professional runner. Um, At the same time, I'd already lined up a job. So I was going to be working full time um, at a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley. And I thought to myself, okay, I still want to run professionally. (laughs) Like, how am I going to make this work? Um, And so I kind of finished my season in July and was kind of like working through options. And I started training with um, Peninsula Distance Club at the time of Strava Track Club um, while I was working full-time. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to work full-time and be a professional athlete thing. And and Dina Evans, who's wonderful, was super supportive. Um, and I tried to do it all that fall. I was like, I'm going to run 60 miles a week. Like I'm going to train like a pro. I'm going to like take my lunchtime to go and do like, you know, my hurdle drills and everything. And then I'm going to stay at work <laughs> until really late and, and no big deal because I can get up at, at six o'clock in the morning and do my run. Um, and I had some really good buddies who were who were kind of on the same schedule as me. By November, I was like feeling pretty haggard. <laughs> I was a little exhausted. I was like, okay, this is fine. And I was running. I ran a cross country race. And then four days later, I came back and I ran the Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. So this is Thanksgiving and I'm like, man, like my shin really hurts. <laughs> this is like kind of odd. And I still, I ignored it um, as as athletes sometimes do. Um, and, you know, I ended up running at club cross country nationals a couple of weeks later. And then I couldn't walk after that. Um, and yeah, so then I tried navigating that next kind of couple of weeks. Like, okay, I think my shin's okay, but it's not okay. And um, I had just been named to this um, U.S., uh, US kind of cross-country relay team <laughs> that was going to be in, in Edinburgh, Scotland. And I thought to myself, well, I have to do this. This is so important that um, I kept training on on a broken chin <laughs> and thought, it's fine. It's fine. I never got an MRI on it until it got so bad that like I, I could not walk on it at all. Um, finally got an MRI and I had broken it in multiple places and then still went <laughs> to run at this, this cross-country relay. Um, and at the same time, I had come to this conclusion of like, okay, I can't I can't do this professional running thing while I work full time. So I'm going to talk to a bunch of coaches, visit a bunch of places. And then I ultimately just decided kind of on a whim um, to move to Portland and work with a coach that was in Portland. I don't know if I should take a pause at any point. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going unless you you want to ask any questions.
0: No, you're you're crushing it. Keep going. We'll, we'll dive into all of this <laughs> after the fact. All right. So keep going. So you're moving up to Portland. This is great.
1: So on a whim, I'm like, okay, I want to live on my own. I want to move to Portland. I left my great job that I had, um, Dina, who was wonderful and a really supportive Peninsula Distance Club team, and, um, and my boyfriend, who was living in Palo Alto at the time where I was living, and just picked up everything and moved to Portland. Um, and I moved to Portland very injured. And as anyone who's lived or been to the Pacific Northwest knows, it's very rainy, (laughs) and kind of depressing. So I was spending all my time on a spin bike, living on my own for the first time in Portland. And, um, you know, I had been really excited about this coach and this situation. Um, and I was gradually bringing myself back to running, trying to be really smart about it. And then I did the thing you're not supposed to do, which is jump right back into training <laughs> as soon as you're you've got the the go ahead. Um, and so I did that, and I was just struggling left and right. I was trying to jump back into track season because I thought, you know, I have to do this. It's May; it's like time to race. And it took me like four months to get back because I'd run on a stress fracture so much; it just needed time to heal um, that my first practice back, I ran a 59 second 400. And although that sounds impressive, it's actually incredibly stupid. (laughs) Like I pulled both my quads, like my body wasn't it all ready. Um, and yeah, I tried to kind of whip myself into shape and in the process was like totally breaking my body down, um, and not fit either. (laughs) I didn't realize the jump from kind of collegiate to pro was, was so big that, I had raced half injured or coming back from injury so many times in college, I I think I didn't fully understand what it would take (laughs) to be able to race on a high level as a pro that I got to the Occidental meet in mid-May, which is like, I don't know, USATF distance classic. And I knew I shouldn't have been racing. I had rabbited the week before at Peyton Jordan and barely got through 800 meters pacing the women's 1500. And when I say barely, I mean, the Stanford coach at the time was screaming at me to kick the last 200 meters. Two pace half of the race.
0: (laughs) I never heard of a coach screaming at a pacer to kick. (laughs) That's just hysterical.
1: Yeah. So it was my former Stanford coach. And it was just, it was so embarrassing. And the day before, I wasn't even sure I'd be able to do it. The next week I went to, um, I'm backtracking a little bit, but I went to a meet in Minnesota. My quads were hurting and I dropped out of the race. And so then the next week, obviously, I'm like, I need some redemption. And so then I should have dropped out of that race. But instead I, I finished the whole thing. I finished dead last I think I ran like, I don't know, over 430 for 1500. It was my slowest 1500 I'd run since I was a freshman in college. And um, I had my physical therapist telling me not to race. I had a coach who was encouraging me to race. um, And me, the like internally as an athlete, like feeling like I had to and I really wanted to. That it kind of took those three in a row terrible experiences to to shut down my season and realize my coaching situation was like not one that was good for me. I needed encouragement to step back <laughs> rather than step into situations where I wasn't really, you know, uh, ready to be racing. And so, yeah, ultimately I, I went to this um, called race called Ten Ten, which was in April. It was kind of a fun 10K and had to sit down and they kind of reality checked me. <laughs> Or like you need, you need to make a change and you need to figure this out. Um, and so I, I, I did eventually. Um, I spent the whole summer just running. Um, and thank goodness for for Lauren Fleshman and Bob and Sarah Lesko who took me under their wing and allowed me to get healthy <laughs> and train and then ultimately look at that well play on
0: words such a pro. I
1: know, I know, but it took <laughs> it took a hot minute. Thanks to Wazell too. I have to throw that in there for sticking by me as I was literally dropping out of races and finishing last in every single pro field I was in for like four or five races until I finally realized this was not going to work.
0: <laughs> so we're calling this fail forward Friday. It, was there a point in this where maybe, maybe multiple points that you felt like you were failing and, or that you felt like you were a failure.
1: Oh, totally. I, like I said, I moved to Portland on a whim. I thought that's where you have to move in order to be a true professional athlete. Like all of these fast, like decky athletes and stuff were there. And I thought that's what I need to do. And I'm going to run fast and I'm going to run huge PRs. And I just didn't vet out the, the situation well enough. I was not good at listening to my body and my brain, which were both saying, no, you can't do this. Or like, You're going to hurt yourself. I mean, I don't know how I didn't hurt myself more that season, to be honest. I was not ready to be training or racing. I'd been hurt for five months, yet I still was throwing myself like in the fire. Um, And I needed to – I was really lucky I had people to kind of pick me back up because I needed to learn how to do that, (laughs) how to be smart, how to take care of myself, and how to make those hard decisions even when they're not fun. So that was a, a whole learning experience. <laughs> it took some time to process.
0: So let's go back to the root of it, right? In the, in the summer, post-college, where you're taking on two high-level things at one time and doing so like right out of college. So you have that, I don't know, maybe you can tell me how you felt, but I know a lot of college grads when they step into jobs like that especially coming from stanford where there's a, like, there's a pressurized environment anyway from a success standpoint right that you know you're like All right, i want to be successful as a pro runner but i also have this high power job that like people want like those are hard jobs to get did you feel like you were I don't, know, I don't want to drop too many cliches in here but burning the candle at both ends you know from an athletic and from a work perspective
1: Totally. I I took a lot of pride and I still do take a lot of pride in feeling like I can do it all. Like Stanford really puts it in your head that like the most successful people are the ones who can like balance a lot of plates or a lot of things on their plate, I should say. And I thought, okay, yeah, I can work this like really crazy professional, like job in finance (laughs) at the same time as being a professional athlete. No problem. Like I got through Stanford, like nothing. And then no one in my life was telling me like, this is, this is not a good idea. Um, even when I was starting to kind of break myself down. And I thought like, this is normal. And that's kind of how I got through all my years at Stanford too, is I was always like, like you said, burning the candle at both ends. And I got hurt all the time. So clearly I didn't learn very much from that and thought, you know, I can still, I can still make this work that it actually took stepping back from from being in a professional job, and then also stepping into like making smarter decisions about my training in order to, like, really take off as I did kind of 2019 to to now. But oh, gosh, yeah, it took took a lot of learning that I can't do it all. And I need to be smart.
0: Now, if you were in that situation now, right, so say uh, you're, you're, all of a sudden that same job comes up or a job similar to that from a pressurized standpoint and from a work hours perspective, and you're, you're still obviously running as, as a pro runner, that do you think that you would handle it differently or could handle it now knowing what you know and having the experiences you've had as a pro runner? Or do you think it was just an untenable situation no matter your experience level?
1: Oh, I would handle it totally differently <laughs> if I was in the same situation now. I mean, I'd be able to put up boundaries, both athletically and professionally. I'd be able to say, like, you know, I need to stay within these work hours. I can't go to an event in San Francisco until 1 o'clock in the morning for, you know, whatever it was. Um, and then also athletically, like, I would put up the boundary of I, I, I know now when I'm starting to get hurt. Like, when I'm starting to get over the line, I get tired, and I'm not able to sleep very well, and, like, you know, little things start to bug me. And that's when I know I need to take two or three days off, but that took years of kind of having that experience to get to a point where I knew, okay, I need to take the three days off now. And so I don't have eight weeks off in a couple of weeks when I then break myself. Um, Cause you know, some people are not injury prone and some people are injury prone like me. Uh, so you need to be able to kind of see the signs. And so I think it was learning how to set boundaries for both my training and and my professional life, which I felt like I was able to do a whole lot more once I, once I lived in Bend and honestly had a mentor, Lauren, that checked me. (laughs) I was like, this is not, this is not smart. And I needed, I needed months of, of someone telling me when to take days off in order for me to learn how to take the days off, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Actually, that's, that's exactly where I was going next was how much can mentorship and or coaching affect how someone, you know, interacts with their body during those situations where something may be coming up or or maybe you can push through it versus how much of it is just experience and trial and error and trying to learn, you know, from the from the positives and the negatives.
1: Totally. It's it's definitely both. Um, And for me, from experience, definitely both. I mean, I. Had never, I was just an amateur as an athlete. I didn't know how to make the decision to take the days off because it felt like I was missing so much. Like I missed this key workout and like I'm never gonna get it back. And you know what? like you have to get to the starting line healthy <laughs> in order to race. like if you hurt yourself before you get to the race, I mean there's kind of no point in that, right. Um, so it took it took me time to learn that and Lauren had been through those experiences. like she had been hurt so many times as a pro that she was trying to take her wisdom and, and give it to me <laughs> and see say, say, hey, <laughs> this is this is you know when you need to be able to cut yourself off. And so I had a lot of fights with her that first year of like, okay, I want to, I want to keep racing or I want to keep training. And she, she'd argue with me and say, no, like you can't do that. Or like, you can't go for this run in the snow or the treadmill because you're going to get hurt. So you need to take a day off. And, um, so it was, it was both, but because of how much she encouraged me to kind of figure things out on my own, I, I eventually did. And I thank her every day for that, that I'm able to make those choices now.
0: All right, let's go back to the mental and emotional space you were in uh, when you were in the process of, you know, know, changing coaches and changing situations. You mentioned that you felt like you felt like a failure at that point. You talked about physically how, you know, some of the things or some of the steps that you took to kind of get back to where you were, um, you know, in terms of, you know, peak health and being at a point where you can compete against the best in the country mentally and emotionally how did you get back there where you felt confident and there wasn't an imposter syndrome effect you know taking hold because up to that point like you mentioned on our previous show like you go back that's like six out of seven years that you were hurt but you were trying to be a pro runner and you just mentioned like you can't be hurt if you're a pro runner because it's hard enough to compete when you're healthy
1: yeah i mean it was it was tough like i had inklings of of kind of success along the way where i knew like it was there i think my fifth year when I PR'd by six seconds, I finally thought, okay, yeah, I'm, I could be good enough um, to be a pro. I could be good enough to maybe someday make a U.S. championship final, maybe be, even be in contention to make a team. And I, I felt like uh, kind of really somewhere deep down that that was there. Um, but at the same time, like I just – yeah, I kept getting, I kept getting hurt. And it was it was really embarrassing, honestly, that first season, if I can even call it that of, of trying to put myself in it and just getting absolutely destroyed, um, that it took time to get back to a place where I felt like confident getting on a starting line. And even my first season under Lauren early 2019, um, my first race was horrible. I ran a mile indoors And I got dead last. I think I ran like 450 in this mile, which is a pace that honestly at the time, and even now I should be able to run for close to three miles. And I just, I I couldn't allow myself to feel like I belonged. Like I just had been getting destroyed by these professional fields, like the whole season before that I thought I'm just not good enough to be in this race. And it took kind of a lot of conversations with Lauren and feeling developing a mantra and like telling myself that like I belonged and that um, like my mantra for a long time and I still think of it from time to time was give it a go like you know you got to put yourself in it <laughs> to see what's going to happen and like sometimes you'll win sometimes you'll kind of get you know outkicked by people the last you know two three four hundred meters but you know if you're going to put in the training and the time you got to like get there and go for it and enjoy the process and I just wasn't doing that and. I think that conversation we had after that race, like I didn't have another race like that. And I don't think I've had another race like that since early 2019. And I'm glad that I had a coach that could reality check me. uh, But also I think the inkling of faith was still there that I could be good. And I'm lucky that never the flame never died, (laughs) I guess.
0: And what was it like when you're in those moments where you're struggling and you need to pick me up? And obviously you have a, you mentioned before that, you know, that Lauren would reality check you in certain situations, but what was it like to, when you're struggling from a confidence perspective that you have someone with her bona fides who has confidence in you? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that's the end of the question. I don't know why I dropped an um in there.
1: (laughs) No, it it means so much um, to have like supporters around you that believe in you. Like I really, really consider myself lucky that like, Lauren and, and Sarah and Bob Lesko kind of adopted me onto the little wing team. Um, we did have this whole, I kind of did this whole physical therapy appointment, um, a really long one right before I joined the team for them to decide like, oh, is it possible <laughs> for Rebecca to be healthy and train? And and I was lucky that I was kind of able to fix a lot of things over the last couple of years that that caused me to be so injury prone. Um, but yeah, having supporters and supportive teammates, I learned so much from, from Mel and Collier Lawrence in particular. Um, and, and Maddie Strandemo has been, was also one of my kind of best friends when I was living in Bend or have been living in Bend. She moved to Minnesota last year. Um, but yeah, having those people around you that believe in you, like can make all the difference in the world for when you don't believe in yourself in in certain moments.
0: All right. And I guess before we head out, what were some of the things that you learned to make sure that you physically are, are as healthy as you can be to move forward? Like you mentioned just a second ago, like that you're, you started doing things to help you stay healthy. What are some of the things that you learned from that period that persist today?
1: Yeah, a lot of things. One in particular that I'm so glad I adopted and I still do now is I run really slow on easy days. Like I have no interest in, in like, you know, a pace on my watch. I kind of go off in my heart rate, go off a feel. Um, and some days that's like, you know, 8.30 to 9-minute pace if I really need it. Um, and that allows me Does to actually hear that? Does
0: everybody <laughs> hear that?
1: 8.30 to <laughs> 9-minute pace.
0: For everybody, everyone who's listening now whose faces p- are fashion than your easy run, please take note.
1: Yeah, I know. So, you know, you got to be able to show up for the really big days. And if you can't show up for the big days, then you can't do the training you need to do. And so for me, it's just kind of time on my feet on on the other days. And was, I've always been a terrible sleeper too. So I try a lot harder to like make sure at least I'm in bed for eight to nine hours a night because I never really cared or thought that I needed that. Like I thought I was above sleep all of my time in school, which is just stupid. Um, so I learned from that. I sleep a lot more and, you know, just like try to do everything else in moderation, like try to eat well most of the time and, um, and, you know, do all the little things and the physical therapy and the foam rolling. But really it's, it's kind of like just being consistent over time, which makes the biggest difference in the end.
0: That's a great point with the sleep. I know like the the financial world, it's almost one of those like hallmarks of like, it's almost like the the hard work porn that you see. Like I sleep two hours a night. I work hard, you know, I do this, (laughs) I do that. And it's like- it's not really, what are you bragging? That's not, that's not a point to brag about. Like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. I will say in comparison, like the venture capital world is much more chill <laughs> than being in like um, investment banking or kind of other aspects of finance. But the the culture like pervades a little bit, like it's definitely there. Um, but yeah, in general, it was kind of competing priorities and trying to figure out like what I needed to do. And instead of going to sleep, like I would stay up either late with work or like with my friends. I mean, I just wasn't like very smart about stuff and thought, Sleep's not important. And I know better now.
0: (laughs) There you go. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us and taking us through this. I know I learned learned a lot from it. And obviously you did, because here you are (laughs) a few years later kicking some serious tail. I really appreciate you coming back on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Okay. Mario Mendoza is here. I am so excited to chat. Just a trail and ultra just the man. This is gonna be so exciting. I we we spoke um uh earlier a couple weeks ago about uh you know coming on for this segment and you had such an interesting story. I am so excited to dive in. So, first of all, I will just say this is about your world championship experience. That's the only thing I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna give up the rest. So Mario, when we first started talking about it, why was this the story that came to mind and set the stage for for what preceded the event that kind of sparked this uh this catalytic moment momentum upward
2: yeah i um I was really curious about this topic you were mentioning of about failing forward, right? I just think that so many times uh in our lives we can do something and see it as as first a failure. And then we realize that, hey, if if we stay in it, if we stay positive and learn from it, it's going to later give us uh, something good and we can take something um, from it and to, to the rest of our efforts. And so I was just really, really curious about that. And when you asked me if I had an experience like that, I immediately thought of, of uh, these world championships that uh, I was a part of. And, um that they tested me a lot. It was uh an eighty five kilometer, really, really mountainous European terrain. Those guys love the rugged stuff. They love the just technicality and throwing in rocks and and just gnarly descents that are gonna bust your quads and and the the reality is I wasn't fully ready for that. you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was just young and excited about, um, opportunity to represent my team and the U S and I was like, man, I just want to get out there and and do my best. And and I did do my best. It just, I I really just think it didn't go the way that I had hoped for and the way that I, um, imagined it. So, so that was where, where I went to like immediately when you asked me.
0: All right. All right. So let's talk about what did you have to do to qualify for the team? I first, um, had to either do really
2: well, like first or second at one of the national championships. Um, and usually those they're looking for the races that are going to look like the, the distance that you're doing, um, at the world championships. So I'm looking back and remembering that my qualifier was, um, I won the 50 mile trail national championships at the time. It was Cayuga trails over in the East coast. Um, and this was uh, quite a few years ago. So
0: that that win there put me on the team. I think Sabrina Little's "The Fail Forward" segment was about the Cayuga Fifty as well. <laughs> this is a Oh no way! That's awesome.
2: <laughs> there you go. It's got it's got some magic, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, not to say that that's yours was there, but this uh, preceded preceded your moment. But it's funny how like this this trail race is now intertwined with this segment. It's connected, man, for sure. <laughs> All right, so you so you did super well there, and then you go over. So you're representing the U.S. Was this when you went over to do the World Championships? Was this your first international race? It was my third.
2: It was my third World Championship, but it was my first like ultra one. So I'd done the the mountain running World Championships, which are um, shorter. And this was going to be um, an ultra, and, and not just an ultra, but a really, really rugged one, as I came to
0: find out. All right. So going into the race, what were your expectations, not only as an individual, but how you would contribute to the team and the team's expectations?
2: Yeah, we, um, we had a pretty solid team, actually. And personally, at the previous two World Championships, I'd been 19th in 11th so i was like kind of you know progressing a little bit and i was like all right i can you know at least shoot for top 20 maybe um you know maybe top 10 i that's what i was kind of was thinking uh and we had a, a solid enough team that we thought you know maybe not a team medal but maybe top 5 kind of thing as a team which would have been really cool um the one bummer was we had one guy that got injured so it wasn't even going to start. And then we um, needed three to, to score, right? So we had uh, we were down from five to four, and we basically needed three out of those four to, to get some points and, and get a team score.
0: All right. So you were feeling good. You thought you were going to be able to place pretty high in this sucker. You're super excited. So give me the layout of – obviously you have the high expectations – you know a lot of people in the field, either because you've raced against them, with them, or just by name. And, and, and you know, it's like it's a pretty small community, right? There's probably not a lot of people at the start line that you weren't at least aware of by name. So when did you realize that things maybe weren't going the way you had hoped? It was right around the 40,
2: 45 K. So just maybe the halfway mark where I was still in a good position there I was like right around 20th um, but I was not not feeling good like it was like I was like holding on to to 20th and and then the other sign that was kind of bad was like the two guys that were in front of me from the US they'd already fallen back a lot and so we just we were like just like oh my gosh we are getting our butts kicked, you know, and (laughs) the terrain wasn't getting any easier. And I remember as I crossed, uh, the 50 K mark, I was having trouble already running downhill. So that, that was a, not a good sign.
0: Now, had you raced, have you done a race that mimicked the kind of terrain slope elevation gain that, that this race provided?
2: The elevation profile, yes. Uh, the distance, no. So so I knew, I knew that in Europe they love the steep stuff. They just really want to get as much vert jam-packed in there. And so I knew that, but um, I hadn't experienced a race that was going to be 55 miles and that steep and that technical. So, um, you know, I was a little bit naive, to be honest. Didn't didn't really know what I was getting into,
0: so you were aware of what it could be like. Was it just like that you had kind of like a not not a full exp, a full realization of what that meant, or did you just have a feeling of like I'll be fine? Yeah, it's a little different, but I'm going to be fine. I'll be, what's the big deal?
2: Yeah, yeah. The thing is, you know, which on one note it's good to be positive. Like you just try to be positive. I'm going to be okay. Um, but you know, you can imagine something as much as you want, but until you experience it, it just brings it to reality. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, that we, um, you know, we think something's going to be manageable and then we're in there and we're like, oh my God, I should have done more squats. You know, I should have done way more up and down. I wish I would have done, you know, one run where I did 10 to 15,000 feet of climbing, you know, st- something like that, where, where um, it, once it comes to reality, you're like, "Geez, this is way harder than I expected."
0: And then, how did the other Americans fare at the at this race? We did horrible. Um, it was so we had our guy that had
2: been in the lead ended up dropping out. Our guy that was in the very back ended up finishing our like our top guy that day. He was forty. 40-something, I think, and that was our top guy. And then um, our second guy ended up falling back from, like, I want to say also top 20. He was, like, close to where I was back to around 60th, 70th. And I finished 122nd place. <laughs> yeah. out of, I have to ask, out of how many finishers? I don't, I don't even remember. I think it was like around 200.
0: <laughs> so, not, so not that borderline top 10 that you were hoping for? No, I, I was I was about half, like halfway in the field. So <laughs> All right, so I have to ask. Obviously, the wheels are falling off. You are not having the race you expected. You're falling straight down the leaderboard through the field. Um, and yet you finished. So what about that experience allowed you to finish instead of pulling out and just be like, it's just not happening today.
2: Yeah, I, um, it was cool. Like, this is something I'm proud of, but I knew I was third for us and I knew that if I didn't finish, we wouldn't score. So, you know, it it was like, for me, it was like, I have to finish. It wasn't like, when do you drop out? It was like, I there's, there's no other option. Like it was like, Mario, you gotta, gotta get to that finish line. So I actually, one of the aid stations when I had 12 K to go and I literally couldn't, couldn't go downhill anymore. Like sometimes I was trying to walk backwards to get down the hill because my quads were shot. Um, I found out that one of my teammates had poles, hiking poles that were, um, my size. And so you were allowed to use poles. So, so I um, grabbed some poles, and that helped me get to the finish. Like that that was a huge. like it was like almost like I was just hiking. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was uh, crazy because I, I look back and um, it was really humbling. Like I remember all of these people, some people that had raced before, um, tons of women, you know, sometimes we joke about like, Getting beat by a bunch of women. Like I got beat by almost every woman in the race, you know, and it was, it was awesome. Like I was like, this is good for me. Like I'm just getting, getting humbled and, and bringing, uh, this to, to reality. And it's teaching me something that it's not about, you know, what place you get or what, you know, dream you have of, uh, winning. Cause I'm a competitive person. Um, but it, it, it just really was like, all right, um, I'm being stripped down to, to the core <laughs> and, and I got to swallow my ego and my pride and, and get to the finish. Because, you know, if I dropped out, like the story wouldn't be shown. And if I finished, my name was going to be at the bottom right there. <laughs> and, and I don't know, something inside of me was like very proud that I, I just struggled all the way, um, but but made it across that finish line. And it was it was emotional for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you have these world championship events where the men and women are competing in the same field, which is a rarity. I mean, it's like the only the, – there are not many, even outside of running, that men and women will compete in the same event at the same time, even though they're being scored separately. But they're competing at the same time, and and we've all seen plenty of women uh, crack the top ten in in elite events. Most recently, UTMB with according to Walter having an unbelievable and unprecedented race. Frankly, Um was that the most you had suffered in a race? Absolutely,
2: I had never been in that type of pain, and had never experienced um just that type of cramping and 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 moving slow. Like I wasn't just like hiking but i was i was moving so slow that like the the miles felt like eternity It just like it was like i'd look down and be like oh my gosh like i continually recalculate when i thought i was going to finish <laughs> and and the problem is like i remember laughing about this cuz the, the you know we have our profile of the course on our bit so you can like flip it and see it And at the end, it it looked like just these three little bumps. But once I went past the first one, I was like, these guys are just savage. Like that little tiny bump on the profile was like this huge mountain in the U.S. You know, it was like brutal. So like (laughs) I went past it and down it and I was like, I have to do two more of those to get to the finish. And so it was like this constant recalculation of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be out here for a long, long time.
0: Mario, I've had conversations like this, but it's never been with a pro. It's been with (laughs) like a dedicated amateur runner who like went and did their first ultra and was like, oh my God, what an experience. Let me tell you about it. It's so interesting to have you tell a story remarkably similar, but coming from a very different perspective and starting point. So having that experience, I have to ask, what, how did that become this springboard to future success as opposed to being this, you said, a humbling experience, but something that, that could have created your confidence and been like, I can't compete with these guys. Look at this. Look at this result. Like I was I was emotional on the course. I'm getting past. I have to walk backwards down the mountain like this is the wheels have completely fallen off. Can I pick them back up again? Um, what was the difference for you going one way and not the other way?
2: There's a few really beautiful things that happen, I think, when you are willing to see something like that through. Number one is um, you kind of see it as like, it's not going to get worse. You know, like like it's not going to get worse than that. That's kind of what I thought the next time I was out there. And, and then the other thing was it sort of takes away this um, kind of like desire like i think it's kind of the, the ego that gets in the way It gets, it takes away that whole like caring about what others are gonna see the result as or what they're gonna say when they see your name like so far down the list it just sort of strips that away and i think there's something so healthy about that because um the pressure's off you know you're like well i mean i already know what it's like to to finish awful and feeling terrible. And so, um, it's, uh, let's just do the best that we can today. You know, you look at it that way. And, um, there's another thing that I, I, this part, I don't know the science behind it, but I I'm confident of it is that when you realize you can suffer that much, when you, when you go through something like that, um, you honestly just realize you're tougher than, than you thought. You know, because because like so many times when you are in the pain cave, you don't look at back at the days that were going well, that it felt easy. You actually look back at those days that were very humbling and that you were still able to survive, that you were still able to get to the finish line. And so, I mean, I thought back on this day a lot. That's why I think it's so ingrained in my memory, (laughs) because I have looked back and been like, hey, I did it that day. This isn't as bad as that day. I got to the finish line. I'm going to get to the finish line today. And um, that that to me is really cool because I really, you know, in the last few years, I've, I've rarely, rarely dropped out of anything. The last time I actually dropped out of a race race was um, four years ago. And it was because my luggage didn't get there. Um, and so I had to use completely different gear. And just it just was it was it, it was already like destined to be a bad day that day. Um, but other than that, it's just been like how, you know, the thought is more how do I get to the finish? Not not, um, you know, I'm just going to go as hard until I can't go anymore and then drop out. So I, I just think it, it changed my perspective. And I really, really am grateful for that.
0: What a wonderful sentiment of this feeling of like, all right, I've been I've I've suffered like this before and I can recall this and learn from it and move on from it. And still that experience uh, sets the stage for the other times where you'll suffer in the future and, you know, you can get through it. And I know a lot of people can certainly relate to that feeling. And not that we not that we look forward to the suffering or that we we (laughs) wish the race had gone better, but you can take the silver lining from it, which is obviously exactly why we're having this segment. Beyond that, beyond the idea of like, okay, I know I can suffer. And in the future, when it comes up, I can harken back to that moment. What gave you the confidence to look back at the people who did finish in the top 20 in that race and say, you know what? Not only can I suffer, but I can race with those people. I didn't race with them today or that day, if you're looking back on it, but I know that I can do it. And what gave you that confidence, that self-belief to go back and and do it again?
2: I think... The reality, it was it was um, a desire for us as a team to do well. So the next, you know, because I had two more experiences in the exact same race. And the interesting thing about the ultra running world championships is that they would go from 50K distance up to 85K. So they alternate, right? So the next year, it went down to the 50K distance, which, to be honest, was better for me just because I was still kind of learning um but even even then i was so humbled by the year before that i was just like okay i I actually didn't think maybe i could get top 20 i was like maybe i can get top 30 but as a team we can just improve um and in the crazy thing is like that day i was like our number five guy maybe a third of the way in and then by the halfway mark i was our number two guy and then by the last third, I was their number one guy and I finished ninth. So it was like, it was insane. It was like, how do you go from 122nd to ninth? And we we got a bronze medal that year um, because I had another guy in 15th and another guy in 29th. So it was like amazing, amazing experience and an amazing day. So, so that was like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like almost like, the year before i was a little bit like wanting to jump into the top 30 or the top 20 and then this year i was like whatever i get i'm excited about that and then i got nine so it was almost like kind of interesting for me like to 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 see such opposite extremes um and, and even saying that it's crazy because the following year was to me the real test because this was down to the 50k distance and it was like, OK, Mario, like you got ninth. You got lucky that it was a distance that you're better at than 85K. Now that you're going to jump back up to 85K, this is really the, the the true test. OK, so this year. I go into it and I'm like, I got ninth. i I'm not as good at 85K probably, but I was like, I should be able to get top 20. So I was I was thinking that. OK, and and I'm. In about 20th, I think, right around the halfway mark. And then, like, I I still don't know what happened. I know I was more, way more prepared, but I just started feeling great and started moving up the field, moving up the field. And all of a sudden, I was top 10 again. And then I remember hearing that um, our, our, one of our, our top guys, Zach Miller, he started falling back he was uh, leading the race early on. And so he started falling back. And then I'm like, I want to get another medal. So I was like, I guess I have to move forward. If he's falling back, I have to move forward. And so that day uh, was pretty magical to me because I moved up to sixth, sixth at the world championships and was our number one guy again. So (laughs) it was like, what is going on,
1: <laughs> Mario?
0: That is so exciting! Like the comeback story nature of it, and just seeing your face—like you're watching, watching you tell the story—not just not just listening to the words, watching you. You're lighting up; is the, the pride is is obvious, and it is 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 remarkable. Thank you for sharing that because because again. A lot of people have had hard experiences. You were there, the world stage, and you had the exact opposite experience that you wanted to have. <laughs> yeah. Two years later, you come back, get sixth at that distance.
2: Yeah, it, it was, uh, to this day, I, I still think it was the best race I've ever run. Um, just very, very magical. And and I, st- I, I I cried through it. You know, it was like, I until I crossed that line, I was almost like, am I dreaming? Like, is this? Is this really happening cuz it was back to that same style of course like brutal brutal 85k 15,000 plus feet of of climbing and descending and and so it was like all right i guess i guess we did improve you know i was like i guess we did prepare better <laughs> or maybe we just got tougher <laughs>
0: or maybe both that is for yeah. sure mario thank you for sharing this this has been a wonderful look into something that really was such an influential part of your running life
2: absolutely guys
0: rebecca and mario thank you so much for coming on this show i love these fail forward friday episodes if you want to be featured on one of these shoot me an email rambling runner podcast at gmail Dot com. I would love to engage with you guys. This is such a fun thing. With that said, big shout out to Inside Tracker for sponsoring all of these episodes for the rest of 2021. Head over to InsideTracker.com forward slash rambling runner today. Save 25% on your purchase. I can't tell you, I can't stress this strongly enough. How important getting your blood work done is to making sure that you are at your best self. Again, this is not just for dedicated amateur runners. Professional athletes fall into this trap oftentimes too. And it's just such a big deal. If you test regularly, again, three or four times a year, you will definitely see the results. You'll set baselines for the markers that work well for you and work, up, work off of that when the, when the bar markers start to move down. And this is the thing, is that we're all different. So what may be a positive or a good range for one person may not be the best range for another person. Also, we have different periods of our lives. If you're doing heavy, heavy training, say you're someone right now who's about to race a marathon. Well, you might be you know, hitting it really hard or you might be feeling great and, and being able to capture that moment in time with your blood work can really work well for later on in the year or next year when you're trying to do something similar and to see where you're at. So anyway, head over to insidetracker.com forward slash rambling runner today to save some dough and learn more about yourself. Thank you so much for listening and happy running.